Be making your way, please, to Matthew chapter number three. And while you do, I failed to mention anyone uh, for prayer. For those of you who do not know, um, Miss Kyla, her husband and brother Bob made the crossing. And uh, Miss Kyla Rowland, brother Bob, they're now there in the presence of the Lord. And there are several for prayer that, of course, we did not mention. Uh, but let's do mention them now, and then you try to remember them as uh, we go to the Lord in prayer after our reading of our text today. Pray for Miss Candy Barnhill. Continue to pray for Miss Peggy. For Harry, we appreciate your prayers. He continues to hold up uh, just really well. I was sharing with the men in the prayer room this morning. Uh, Aaron, uh, we had Christmas with Harry. Had it Friday night. Uh, Harry was sitting up on the side of his bed when we got there, but he soon got tired and wanted to know if it would offend us if he laid down. He did, and Aaron just got in his wheelchair, slid up right beside him. And we couldn't tell what they were talking about, but it wasn't long before Harry teared up. I would guess it had something to do with the goodness of God. It's been remarkable. We bow for prayer. Before I leave, sometimes I don't even say, let's pray. I just get his hand and start praying. He starts praying. And he'll thank God for everything from the color of his ceiling in his house to you name it. And he feels God's given him a good life. And uh, it's just the way he feels about it. Your prayers mean much to all of us. Thank you. Sean and Lauren Weeks want to pray for them. Miss Billy Holloway. Brother Clifton Waldron needs our prayers. He's the pastor down here at Schooner. He's a good brother. Can you take me off Facebook Live just for a second? I wouldn't want this to go out. I wouldn't want it to embarrass anyone. Our uh, Bible Institute classes are about to morning in our prayer room. And then Norris Ashley, pray for him. Let's stand together. Matthew chapter number 3. We're going to read verses 11 through 17. We're interested in the baptism of Jesus Christ this morning. The baptism of Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 11. The Bible says, I indeed, of course this is John preaching, John the Baptist preaching, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Tyler Sure, would you pray for us, please, brother? Amen. The baptism of Christ. This is our 15th look into the life of Christ. Of course, there have been other messages we have looked at along the way outside this series, and I suppose we'll do some of that along the way. We've ordained deacons. We've 
had testimony services. And then, of course, last week we preached out of Hebrews 10 regarding the Christmas story according to Jesus Christ. Uh, but today we move into a different section, another section. Uh, Christ is moving out of obscurity toward ministry. There'll be two messages that will fall under that heading. Of course, that being this one, the baptism of Christ. And then next week, the Lord willing, the temptation of Christ, the wilderness scene where for 40 days and for 40 nights, he'll be tempted of the devil as he fasts and prays in the wilderness all alone. I want to speak on the, uh, the baptism of Christ. I want to speak under three headings regarding this passage of Scripture that we've taken. I'm interested here in verses 11 and 12 in the preaching of John the Baptist regarding Christ. Uh, verses 13, 14, and 15, the bapti- uh, baptism of Christ in the Jordan. And then verses 16 and 17, the witness of the Trinity, uh, the baptism of Christ. When you come to the baptism of Christ, there's, there's a little bit of uh, not really controversy. Uh, there's a little bit of disagreement. Some say that uh, when Christ comes for his baptism, it's actually his last act in his private life. And then others say, no, it's his first act in his public life. Now, I don't know why it cannot be a combination uh, of the two. You remember we looked seven times at um, messages regarding the events and circumstances leading into the birth of Christ. Four messages concerning scenes beyond the nativity Scenes from the early life of Christ, his young life. There were three messages regarding the silent years of Christ. And now this brings us now to the baptism of Christ. Notice with me verses 11 and 12, please. The preaching of John the Baptist regarding the Lord Jesus. Verses 11 and 12, I indeed baptize you with water, John says, unto repentance. Uh, But he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Uh, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I want to say two or three things along the lines of John's preaching here. First of all, a word about John uh, and his person. Secondly, a word about John's purpose And then a word about John's preaching here out of this text. First of all, just a reminder, some of you will remember early in the year last year, we said some things. Uh, As a matter of fact, there were about five messages we preached regarding John the Baptist and his life and his ministry. We didn't follow any particular chronological order. We just pulled some events from his life. Uh, John is the forerunner of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. Uh, His charge was simple. He was to prepare the way for the Lord and to make his paths straight. His being the forerunner meant that he was the foreteller. He's letting everybody know. He's the herald. He's letting everybody know the one that's been promised by the Old Testament scriptures uh, is soon to be on the scene. As a matter of fact, in another gospel account, his words were, There cometh one after me that is mightier than I, of whose shoes latch it I am unworthy to lose. John the Baptist, a lot of us Baptists want to take pride in the fact that Baptist is connected to his name. But it doesn't mean that he pastored First Baptist Church um, wilderness in the southern part of of, uh, Israel. Uh, He is John the Baptizer. That's what that means. That is the emphasis. He is John uh, the Baptizer. What we know about him, if you'll remember, his ministry was but a brief ministry. 
As a matter of fact, his life was a brief life. He lived a young man. He died a young man. Uh, His life, his ministry lasted only about six months. We talk about often preachers that maybe preach for 30 years. God gave them 30 years of ministry, 40, 50, 60, um, maybe more than that. Uh, But John only had about six months ministry and then about a year and a half of imprisonment and his head was taken. Jesus made a most remarkable statement about John. This has come out in my preaching a number of times across 30 years of preaching. I've always marveled at this where Jesus said of John, he said, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And you'll remember what had happened. you remember John's been locked up in prison. And he sends his disciples and asks him, Are you really him or should we look for another? John was struggling with doubt. And you remember there at John's lowest, Jesus says, uh, makes his best statement about him. Makes his greatest statement uh, about him. And he said of all the Old Testament prophets, and that's where John fits. John fits among the Old Testament prophets. He said, of all the Old Testament prophets, no doubt they're fair jewels and all of their crowns, but John has more fair jewels in his crown than all the rest of them uh, do. He said his best about John when John was at his lowest. Maybe we all could take a hint or two from that. John the Baptist is the neglected prophet of the Bible, right? We talk about prophets. We usually don't include him in our thought processes, but Jesus did. John was born to old parents, old Zechariah and Elizabeth. They had lived all those years and had never had a child. And then the angel meets with Zechariah while he's doing his priestly duties. It's recorded in Luke 1 and tells old Zechariah, said, you're going to have a a, a baby and his name is going to be John. Don't name him Zechariah Jr., but uh, he's going to be John. And you remember Zechariah asked the same question Mary asked the angel, how can this be? And he doubted what he did, and God caused him to where he could not speak until after the birth of John. John, according to the flesh, was a cousin to the Lord Jesus, and he lived a most unusual life. As a matter of fact, your Bibles are still open to Matthew chapter 3. Look with me at verse number 4. Verse number 4 says, And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Now, how would you like to have worn that type of a garment? As a matter of fact, he probably was under the Nazarite vow, and that camel hair probably was turned inside out. That's what a Nazarite would do. He would wear it that way, and as that fur of that camel's hair, as it would, as it would touch his body in that hot climate, it would remind him that he doesn't belong to this world, but he has been set aside to serve God. He belongs uh, in the world to come. He belongs to God. He's God's merchandise. He's God's uh, property, if you will. Just a little bit about his person as a reminder. Let me say a word, if I may, about John and his purpose. Uh, John's life included a, a unique, a special uh, call and purpose. As a matter of fact, John chapter 1, verse 6 says about him, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. How would you like that introduction? Sometimes I get introduced in these revivals and Bible conferences like I've got an earned Ph.D. or something, you know, and I'll get up and to kind of just uh, uh, let the tension out of the house or out of the air. I'll say, you know, after an introduction like that, I can't wait to hear me preach. Amen? And, uh, but that's how, that's how the Bible introduces John. There was a man sent from God 
whose name was John. God calls a man to a ministry. He'll call a man to the time of his ministry, to the area of ministry he calls him to. He'll call him to minister to a certain group of people. There's a number of uh, missionaries that we support, and they are right where God has, has burdened for them to be. And uh, God's call on, on a man's life is undeniable. I think you would agree with that. There have been men that have walked in and out of all of our lives. And looking back, we see the hand of God upon their lives, don't we? How God used them to speak to us, to minister to us, to get us to the cross, to get us to Christ, to help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to cause us to be more committed. Or maybe if there was a time in our life we were a bit lax because of God's hand upon someone's life, we found ourselves uh, back to where we needed to be. I was thinking about this very thought yesterday, just sitting down trying to put my notes together on, pe- on paper yesterday. I, I thought about um, our ordination services, us preachers that have been through the process of ordination. It's common in our area. Some preacher, it's usually Brother David Barnett does it these days. Uh, he'll ask the candidate, whoever's being ordained, what if this council chooses not to ordain you? Uh, what would you do then? I was asked that. As a matter of fact, Brother Harvey Reeves asked me that back in 1992, in August of 1992. I didn't know what to say. I really didn't. But I said, all I can tell you is God has, uh, God has called me and I've got to preach or die. That's all I can tell you. Now, I've heard men through the years that when asked that question, they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, I'll preach anyhow. If you choose not to ordain me, I'll preach anyhow. I love the way Andrew Brown, who recently was ordained out at Poplar Springs Baptist Church, Alan Fox is his pastor. Um, Brother Andrew was recently ordained, and he had never heard the question asked and wasn't expecting it. And uh, one of the elder preachers said that, Brother Brown said, if this council chooses not to ordain you, what will you do? And one of the brethren that were there, he was talking to me about it. I was so impressed with it. He said that Andrew dropped his head and said in humility, he said, men, he said, for sure, God has placed his hand upon my life and called me to preach. But he said, I've got such confidence in you men that have preached all your lives. If you saw something amiss in my life, I I would set myself aside, get back under the teaching and discipleship of my pastor, and then I I would reevaluate and pray this thing through. I thought, what a statement of humility. But we've seen in this county, have we not? Men that have come through at different times. Let, let me mention a name and you see if you know him. And if you know him, I, I'll guarantee you there'll be a smile come across your heart. Does anybody in here know Junior Ritchie? Uh, he was the first brother I thought about uh, in this county. You want me to tell you why? Brother Junior Ritchie is an unsung hero. He preaches a lot of funerals in this county. Do you know why he does that? It's because he's been used across time over and over again. You wouldn't dare, if you know anything about Brother Richie, he lives right down the highway here, you wouldn't dare put a question mark over whether or not God had called him to preach many years ago. God's used him. He's had a Christ-like spirit all these years. Matter of fact, he and I have done a number of funerals together. And I don't know at the times, Donald, where I've walked up to him at a cemetery, shook his hand and said, Brother Junior, I want to thank you. You've always shown a Christ-like spirit, you have a touch upon your life, God is using you and has used you to influence my life. 
Well, if you were around John the Baptist, it wouldn't take you but just a few minutes. You would have known. I mean, you would have been sure about it. You could rest assured. This is not some hireling. This is not some scam artist that's come on the scene. This is not some charlatan. He's, uh, he's not some weasel of sorts. But this man has a unique call on his life. God has called him and is using him. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter number 3, let me read three verses to you. The Bible says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, by the way, that voice was John the Baptist, and John the Baptist cried, and he cried alone. He stood, and he stood alone. He's the only voice out there. As a matter of fact, if you were going there, you had to go there on purpose. You couldn't get there on accident. You had to go to the desert to find him. John, we believe that his mother and father died while he was a young man, and he found his lodging in the desert. If you know anything about those days, the desert dwellers were people called Essenes. Uh, they were people who were rugged and had callous stands. They lived off very little. And that's who it is that John was raised around uh, after the passing of old Zacharias and Elizabeth. And here he is out there in the desert or out there in the wilderness or out there all alone in this hot, uh, barren uh, atmosphere. One crying in the wilderness. Luke wrote, prepare ye. That was his message. But prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. Did you hear what John's charge was when God sent him out there into the desert? And he lifted his voice, and he started his preaching. He was, to, he was uh, in charge. It was his charge to fill the valleys, to level the playing field. Uh, level the mountains to straighten out, to confront, uh, to call into question, to expose that which was crooked. In the rough, uh, rough places, it was to be made uh, smooth. Why? Well, verse number 6 of that passage says uh, all, that all flesh should see that, uh, the Christ of God and hear his message. We've touched on a verse I want to read just now, as of late several times. John 1 and verse number 9, speaking of Christ says that that was the true light, speaking of Christ, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And you see, John had a unique part to play in Christ lighting every man that cometh into the world. And every man being able to hear the gospel and, and leveling the ground around Calvary before Christ ever showed up on the scene, if you will. The purpose of John's ministry, it included calling men to repentance, calling men to faith. And then baptizing them. Matthew 3, you'll look here. You're still open there. Verses 1 and 2. You'll see here where Matthew writes, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. With the coming of John on the scene was the coming of the touch of God. You'll remember in the Old Testament when Moses was sent to Egypt, you remember along with Moses was the presence of God. You remember blessings came with Moses and cursings came upon the people and the land of Egypt when Moses showed up on the scene. So it is with John. Repentance is his message. It's the message of the Lord Jesus as well throughout the Gospels. It's the message of the apostles in the New Testament. It's the message that we're to be preaching in the day in which we preach as well. I think about John Phillips and what he said about John's message of repentance, this is what he said. He said, repent, prince or plowman. Repent, uh, priest or publican. Repent, uh, scribe or soldier. 
Repent, uh, uh, Pharisee or Sadducee, harlot or housewife, rabbi or robber, rich or poor, bond or free, uh, Judean or Galilean. You see, the message is the same. As a matter of fact, if you sit here today in this service and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ in the free pardon of sin, that message still goes for you. It is to repent. That is to turn from this world, turn from your sin, and to turn unto Christ. Repentance was John's message. Notice with me verses 10 through 12. In verses 10 through 12, there's a, a word about John's preaching. You remember we were talking about John. I really challenged this idea of John being caveman John. He's not. As a matter of fact, he's a Christ-centered preacher. Over and again, when you find him preaching, he's doctrinally sound. I mean, he's gun barrel straight. And he'll keep bringing you back to repentance and bringing you back to your faith in Jesus Christ. He'll keep bringing you back. As a matter of fact, I hope we have a Bible conference in heaven. And I hope over on the golden shores of everlasting peace. I hope that John gets to open for the theologian uh, Paul. And I hope the next night that, uh, that maybe Paul opens for John. And I hope they magnify Christ for 10,000 years. And we get, to, we get to sit in the sweet grace of God and hear these two profound preachers as they preach the word of God. I want you to notice with me, if you will, the last word of verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12. I remember I was, uh, I was about 23 years old the first time I saw this. And uh, as a matter of fact, for several years after I started preaching, every revival, I'd preach on the danger of hell. For, in every revival, I preach for a number of years. And a lot of times, it was born out of this passage. Notice it with me, verses 10, 11, and 12 of Matthew 3. You'll notice the last word. The last word in each verse is the word fire. Notice where, notice where John is preaching here in the Jordan. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He's preaching on judgment here. Verse 11, he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. See him separating the crowd right here? He said, some of you he will baptize with the Holy Ghost, some of you he will submerge. He will immerse in fire. And then in verse number 12, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff. He'll separate the chaff from the wheat. He'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John's message, his heartbeat was always the same, wasn't it? He must increase. I must decrease. He, again, he's a Christ-centered preacher. The litmus test for any preacher is found in John 7, verse number 18, where the Bible says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. John was never about John. He was always about Christ. Let me say a word, if I may, verses 13, 14, and 15, about the baptism of Christ in the Jordan. Now, I do want to say two or three things while we're here about baptism. Baptism speaks of immersion. Sprinkling is not a mode of baptism. Sprinkling is sprinkling. As a matter of fact, in some movements, pouring, taking a pitcher of water and pouring over people. That's becoming the norm. But that's not baptism. Baptism is baptism. And even in Christ's baptism, he's in the Jordan where there's enough water to put him down underneath the surface of the water. As a matter of fact, John's baptizing on one occasion. John would record it. 
John, the apostle John would record it in his gospel in John 3, 23. And he wrote, and John was baptizing in Enon near to Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. And here in verse number 16 of our text, the Bible says, in Jesus, when he was baptized, didn't say when he was sprinkled, didn't say when water was poured over the top of his head while he sat in a straight chair, didn't say anything about that. It said, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Baptism is just that. It's an immersion. It's an immersing. It's a placing in two. As a matter of fact, baptize is from the word baptizo, which is from the word bapto. As a matter of fact, they're very interesting words. You can find word pictures used throughout, um, used throughout uh, that part of the world. It was used in context with a blacksmith that would... Uh, he would take his piece of metal and his tongs and he would put them in the fire. He would bring them back to his anvil or whatever he would beat the metal with and hammer the metal with and cut the metal off with. And he would get it shaped and twisted and turned the way he wanted it. And when he got it the way he wanted it, he would take that hot piece of metal and he would submerge it uh, into a barrel of water, a vat of water, whatever the case would be, to temper his piece of metal. Sometimes the words were used to talk about uh, ladies who would put together garments. If they wanted to make a red garment or if they wanted to make a green garment of some other color, they would take it and they would submerge it uh, in, uh, to immerse it into a vat of dye and then bring it back out and they would have uh, what they set out uh, to produce. Or maybe it was used as a, uh, for a ship that was at sea and it would sink and rest beneath the surface of the water uh, on the sea floor. So, babto, baptize. It's not to sprinkle, and it's not to pour over. There's another word for that. Now, lay that aside. Let me say another word about baptism, if I may, while we're here. Let me mention the difference between John the Baptist baptism and Christian baptism. You say, preacher, is there a difference? Oh, yes, there's a difference. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts points out that difference. In Acts chapter number 18, there's a young preacher by the name of Apollos. And he's preaching. He's preaching in the synagogue. And Aquila and Priscilla hear him preach. And they know that he's extremely gifted. And God's hand is upon him. And they're going to take him and they're going to disciple him. Because all he knows at this point as they hear him in the synagogue, all he knows is John's baptism. He's not familiar with Christian baptism. Listen to the verses. In Acts 18, verse 24 and following. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, here it says, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took, unto, they took him unto them and expounded unto him, the way of God more perfectly. In other words, they taught him. They discipled him. They brought him along. And you know what he's going to in turn do? He's going to then go and preach, and then he will exercise Christian baptism himself. In the very next chapter, you'll find in Acts 19, verses 1 through 5, Paul comes from Ephesus. He finds believers, and he asks them this question, Under what then were you baptized? And they said, Under John's baptism. Here's the difference in John's baptism and Christian baptism. According to John's own word in John 1.35, God instituted John's baptism. According to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, 
Christ himself instituted Christian baptism. How should a Christian be baptized? We should be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's what Jesus said. You say, yeah, but this other branch says, Lord, do it that way. Let them do it that way. We'll be right, and they can be wrong. We'll take the words of Christ, and we'll follow that charge that he left for the church. There's a difference in John's baptism and Christian baptism. John was pointing forward to the Messiah who would come. Christian baptism points back to the one who has come. John's baptism and Christian baptism both are linked to repentance. When a man would come to John, he was saying, in essence, I am repentant. Therefore, I submit to this baptism. I believe that there is a soon coming Messiah, and I have repented and placed my faith in him. Christians who are baptized, we look back and we say that we have been regenerated. We have been saved by the grace of God. And so, therefore, we submit to this baptism. It's a public profession of our faith. We don't just make a public profession when we come before the church. But when we go into that watery grave, we're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection. As we're placed in that watery grave, his death and burial. And then as we're raised back uh, onto our feet to stand again. That's what resurrection means anyhow, to stand again. Uh, We're saying that we have identified, we've placed our faith, our souls, we've rested our souls in the care of Christ the redeemer of the soul. But there is a distance. There is a difference. And I tell you, Christian baptism identifies us as a Christian. And what a blessed thing to be identified as a Christian. Let me say one more thing. You say it doesn't matter, but it does matter. Did you know that only believers are to be baptized? You know, some people think they can just join the church. They're going to run for a public office. They'll join the church, be baptized, and fill out a little old card. Now they name it in the town paper. And whenever they get to uh, debating their, whoever their political opponent is going to be, while well, they belong to uh, so-and-so Baptist or Methodist church somewhere. But we don't baptize unbelievers. And sometimes we've done that. We've done that unknowingly, right? Nor do we baptize infants. You know, there are some uh, Presbyterians, the old line to be one, that still believe in baptizing infants. You won't show me one verse in all of the Bible where we are uh, commanded to baptize an infant. As a matter of fact, we baptize believers. Let me tell you something else I've heard while I'm here. I've heard people tell other people once they are saved, well, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether or not you baptize. You can't read the New Testament and come to that conclusion. Jesus placed priority on being baptized. Now, baptism doesn't add any saving grace. It doesn't do that, but it does add a clear conscience before God because he calls his people. As a matter of fact, I heard someone say one time, said, Preacher, pray for me. Brother Kevin, pray for me. Um, I don't know whether or not to be baptized. I said, well, I can help you with that. You're saved by the grace of God. You ought to be baptized. And then took him to the verse. Let me tell you what the Bible says about it. And then I'm going to move on, and we'll be through in just a moment or two. 1 Peter 3.21, the Bible says, The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience, Toward God. As a matter of fact, let me show you how a lot of people get baptism out of place. Here's how baptism, the order of baptism is that a person is convicted of their sin, realize that lost, they're lost before God, right? For you were saved. You were brought under conviction. You were rendered guilty. You saw yourself as deserving of hell, guilty before God, broken the law, broken, uh, broken if you will, God's rule book, broken the law. You are an offender. 
an alien, an enemy of God, and you saw yourself as such, was brought under conviction. You were rendered guilty by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and then you, you came to Christ in repentance and faith. Those are twin. they take, uh, twins. They take place uh, simultaneously. As you turn and you exercise your faith and you call on the name of the Lord and the Lord saves you, then you're to be baptized. There are some, and I'm going to give you two examples. Uh, I'll give you three or four examples if you need them. But then there are some, because in vacation Bible school, three or four went to an altar. They felt like they'll go with their best friend. They'll make a profession of faith. They'll be baptized next Sunday night. But then they get on down the road as a teenager and realize, look, I'm not saved. The Spirit of God will arrest their soul. There they have sat on a church pew for 10, 12 years maybe, maybe 20 years. But they realize, I've never repented and trusted Christ. And then they get saved. Some preacher that won't read his Bible will say, well, you don't have to be baptized again. You were baptized 12 years ago. And that's not right. That's not right. As a matter of fact, I remember the first time I preached on baptism. I was over at Pleasantdale in the first pastor. And I preached on it on a Sunday night. We were baptizing five that night at the close of the service. And I preached on where baptism fits in the life of the believer and the importance of it. And quoted the verse that we read from a while ago, 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. And I used that illustration. I had a problem with it back in the early 90s. Preachers asking kids at Bible school, now who wants to go to heaven and don't want to go to hell? What kid ain't going to raise their hand? Well, you can coach a profession of faith out of a six-year-old all day long with that. That's not fair to that child. But here's what I said. I said there are a number of people make a profession of faith, get under conviction somewhere down the road, and never follow up in believer's baptism. And because of that, they have forfeited peace in their life. And Dale Smith, Miss Dale Smith, she came down the aisle, and she said, I want to tell you something. She said, that happened to me. She said, I walked the aisle when I was a, a young girl because my friends did. And I thought I was doing right, and I meant to do right. But she said, now, I was saved as a teenager. A few years before I got married. And she said, now, I didn't go back and get my baptism right. Says, As a matter of fact, my pastor told my mother, you don't have to be baptized again. She said, I won't be baptized with these people. She got baptized that night. Looked like she swallowed the sun. So happy about it. Preached on it, a little bit different emphasis. When I was out at Hurricane one night, same thing. People making professions of faith when they wasn't saved. Baptized, get saved later in life. You all have heard me mention Miss Glenda Hale. Miss Glenda never came to the altar, but, buddy, that night she did. She took me by the hand, and she said, Brother Kevin, that's me. I said, what's you? She said, that's me. She said, I made a profession of faith with some other girls when I was a child, but said I got saved as a young lady, and I never have followed the Lord and believers' baptism, and I want to get that right. Jeff Williams did the same thing, same night. As a matter of fact, there have been a handful like that through the years. It's amazing if you'll just follow the Lord, the peace that God will grant to you when you do so. Save me and I'll quit rambling on all these other things. Look with me in a hurry and we'll get through this, uh, this text in a hurry. Look, if you will, John initially, when Jesus comes to be baptized, the Bible says in verse number 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. He may have traveled as much as 60 miles for his baptism. Bible says in verse number 14, but John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? 
Here's what John is saying. John is saying, I'm a sinner. You are sinless. You ought to be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. That's what he's saying to the Lord Jesus. He couldn't see how the one who is holy and harmless and undefiled, the sinless one, would come to him, a sinner, and seek to be baptized. He's in the presence of Christ and has a deep conviction of his own sinfulness and his own unworthiness. When the Bible says here in verse number 14, but John forbade him, the idea is that John hindered him. He didn't just immediately put his hands on him and baptize him, but he hindered him. The verb tense would suggest that he continued to do that. In other words, it was a bit of an ongoing conversation between John and the Lord Jesus. And again, he states in verse number 14, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Notice Christ's response in verse number 15. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer, which means allow. Allow it to be so now. Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness, and he suffered him. Jesus is always gracious, isn't he? Always gracious. But he's very stern here with John. And he tells him, that uh, he said, suffer it to be so now. The Bible says, and he suffered him. Christ's baptism was intended and was carried out for two or three different purposes. Number one, Jesus states it right here in verse number 15. He says, thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, what he's saying is, John, you can't forbid this. Righteous people do this. God has sent you to baptize and righteous people do that. And John, just as sure as you and I observe the Passover annually and the Feast of Unleavened Bread annually, we're going to follow through with this. John, just as sure as we remember the Sabbath to keep it holy as Hebrew people, as Jewish people, John, it's incumbent upon you to baptize me and me to submit to this baptism. Number two, he submits to this baptism to identify with Adam's fallen race. Aren't you glad for that? You know, if we aren't careful, somebody will visit, somebody will visit church. I, I don't think I've ever seen this here, but I have seen this before. Somebody visit a church service, and those that are better than, uh, well, they sit down on their pew, and so they'll get up and move one or two up or move across the way. Don't ever do anything like that. It's just by the grace of God any of us are here. But have you ever seen anybody do that? Maybe it's no gal. She's lived in the world, given herself to the world. She's gone for the gusto of the world, and she's reaped, uh, sown the wind and reaped the world. Maybe it's some town drunk or drug addict somewhere, and he's been in and out of the jailhouse. And if it had been us, maybe they're standing in line that day to be baptized of John. We might have waited until two or three walked up and put a little space between us, but not Christ. He comes to the banks of the Jordan. And he waits his turn. It didn't matter if it was a thief in front of him. It didn't matter who it was in front of him. It didn't matter who it was behind him. He identified with the fallen race of Adam when he stood there and when he submitted to John's baptism that day. It makes me think of 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, which says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Aren't you glad for that? He who had no sin took his place with those who had no righteousness to claim. He who never had a bad 
thoughts, attitudes, never acted in an unbecoming way, took his place among those who had. That's what salvation, that's what the gospel is, is it not? Of course, his submitting to this baptism in the Jordan would point to his own baptisms, a baptism of sufferings. Matthew 20, verse 20 through 23 will bear that out. As he gave himself to the watery grave of the Jordan. It's a picture of what he would state uh, to James and John's mother who wanted to know when he came into his kingdom, will you let one of my sons sit on your right hand, the other one on the left? He said, you don't know what you're asking. He said, can they be baptized with the baptism that I'm to be baptized with? He's talking about his sufferings. When he would be overwhelmed with the wrath of God and the judgment of God, as he hung there upon the cross of Calvary, and he would cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Being placed beneath the surface of the waters of the river Jordan points to his burial. Being brought up out of the Jordan would point to his resurrection that was to take place. 16 and 17, and I'm done. The witness of the Trinity at the baptism of Christ. Verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John would identify Christ. In John's gospel, this is what he would say. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Verse 36 of that same chapter, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, that is, John saith, Behold the Lamb of God. There's person number two, the second person of the Trinity in Christ. The Holy Spirit is seen lighting upon Christ and remaining. Verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway, Out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Then verse number 17, God the Father makes the announcement. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, all three at the baptism of Christ. And the Father says in verse 17, Lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He's saying, Well done. Well pleased. Agapetos, this is him, my beloved son. He's identifying his own son. Everything he did, the Father's pleased in. Everything he said, God the Father's pleased in. Everything he thought, everything he was, everything he ever would be while here upon the face of the earth, God the Father is pleased in God the Son. It's not that he was perfect, but to be biblical, he is perfect. He is the Lord from glory reminds me of what we've celebrated as of late the angel told joseph said you're going to call his name emmanuel which is god with us john would say we beheld his glory the glories of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth that tells us several things tells us that god's not a distant ruler but he's interested in your soul he's interested in my soul It tells us God always takes the initiative with a sinner. Had God not come your way. Have you ever heard somebody testify and say, I remember a Friday night when God came my way. God took the initiative. You had to respond, but he took the first step. 
Even when Adam would fall into sin, God came looking for Adam. Adam didn't go looking for God. God came looking for Adam. He said, Adam, before he said anything else, he called him by name. There's a time in your life he called your name. He spoke it in a manner in which you could understand. He was speaking to you. I remember those days. Uh, His being ever so nigh reminds us God has an eternal plan. And that plan comes through Jesus Christ. It reminds us that God reveals himself. But he reveals himself through Christ. A lot of people trying to rewrite the Bible, but there's not but one. And the way to the Father is through the Son. The way to eternal life is through God's Son. It's not in joining a Baptist church or a Methodist church or being baptized. It's through Christ. And through Christ alone. Salvation is not religion. It is Christ. Brother Jay's been in the book of Revelation even the spirit of, uh, for some time. Even the spirit of prophecy is Christ. I remember Brother Jay, Brother Elwood Seamster, about 15 years ago, was preaching one night in a conference. He was going through Revelation. He said about his fourth time. He'd been where he'd been at the time, about 45 years there in, in Clover, South Carolina. He said, I've preached it, and I've preached it, and I've taught it. I've done it in Sunday school. He said, I've done it in midweek service. He said, currently I'm preaching through it, but he said, it's different this time. He said, I'm not looking for the prophecy so much as I'm looking for Christ. He said, it's impacted our lives. God with us lets us know that God has provided a way through himself or to himself. It is through Christ. When we see him and his arrival, we know that God demonstrates his love to us. It is through Christ. He loves the perishing. He loves to rescue the perishing. We rejoice. Miss Peggy shouted twice at Noah before open assembly this morning. Never have got over being saved, have you? Have you? I want to tell you something. I believe God loves to save the sinner more than the sinner loves to be saved. And then when we're saved and we've sinned, whether it be sin of omission or sin of commission, uh, I believe when we come to Christ and we, we come with the right attitude and we come repentant, I believe he finds more joy in forgiving us than we find in being forgiven. He's made every bit of it possible through Jesus Christ. That he came, that he bled, that he died, that he rose again from the grave lets us know God's refusal to let us be. Brother Chris and I were talking about before anybody, we were the first two in the prayer room this morning. These other fellows are lazy and went and get out of the bed. So I got ahead of myself. I'm sorry. I'm teasing. Uh, of course, I'm picking at these other men. But we were talking about how grateful we are. He said, you know, he said, I, something to this effect, I, I could have I been somewhere else today. You could have been in some land somewhere never having the privilege of hearing the gospel. I won't ever forget when um, Brother Ed Maccabee preached years ago on 20th century barbarians. 
took his text from Romans 13, verses 11 and 12, which speaks of growing darker, time to wake up. He had been to Washington, D.C., to the nation's capital. He said two blocks north of the White House, there was blood and urine in the street as they walked through the, walked the side. He said two blocks north of the capital, said, of the White House, he said there was blood and urine. side of the street next to the sidewalk running that's just the grace of God you didn't wake up like that this morning it's just the grace of God I didn't wake up like that this morning it's just the grace of God an old preacher I'd get in his hearing and he would thunder John three sixteen to me Sunday after Sunday and I'd hear the glorious gospel and we'd be saved. Christ for us. That's our message today. Christ for us. Christ came for you, Galatians 4.4. 4. He died for you, Romans 5.8. He rose for you, child of God, 2 Corinthians 4.14. 4. He's coming again for us all, 1 Thessalonians 4.14. 4. Rest assured today, if you're a child of God, rest assured. He is today and he will forever be for you. God force, Christ force. Romans 8, 31 with this, I promise I'm done. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? We stand in Christ. His baptism was come. He come to fulfill all righteousness. And he came to identify with sinners such as you and me. Let's stand.